Are you a high-performing real estate investor who's looking to further elevate your performance? If so, download our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits by joining our insider network at elevatepod.com. This guide created by yours truly has the power to put your transformation on autopilot and exponentially change your trajectory. Go get your free copy now at elevatepod.com. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Nir Ayal today. Wow. I know I say this a lot, but my goodness, this is so valuable. This episode is so good. If you want to learn how to be indistractable, if you want to learn how to truly reach your dreams, to truly create your future in a very distracting world, then today's episode is for you. Because I don't know about you guys, but there's times where I get off track and I get off track you know, frequently, perhaps. And today's episode is the cure for that, right? If you feel like you've been getting off track, if you feel like things are moving fast and you can't stay focused, then I'm telling you today's episode is for you. And if you're a high-performing real estate investor, I know that this happens to you because it can happen to me, right? It happens to people that I care about. It happens to my team at times. So I want to encourage you to really buckle up. Today's episode is so good. You're going to learn so much. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and a high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar. Before we dive into this episode, I want to encourage you to pay it forward. The fee for listening today, it's 100% free. The only thing we ask you to do is pay it forward and share this with a friend. Share this with someone that you care about, someone that you work with, someone that you have a friendship with, your family member, maybe it's someone that you just met at a networking event, or maybe it's someone that you just connected on social media with, share this with them, pay it forward and let them know that you're really appreciating this podcast because the only way that we can spread our message is if we you know, get the benefit of your introduction as, a, as is any business. If you're appreciating what we're doing, we are so grateful if you help us spread the word and spread the message that Elevate is all about everything that we've just described. And it's all about designing a life without limits, right? Because real estate is just a vehicle. It's a vehicle towards creating a greater future. Personal growth is almost the foundation. If you want to be a great leader, if you want to be a great negotiator, if you want to make phenomenal decisions, which we are called to make massive decisions on a continual basis. It's all about elevating your mindset. It's all about elevating and expanding your mind. It's all about growing as a human being, growing as a leader, growing as an investor. And that's what we're all about here. I also want to encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review because it's very important to us, but also we're coming out with massive value. Twice a week, we're bringing the world's greatest people on this podcast, and we're going to continue to do so. So I want to encourage you to follow us, give us a rating and review. I read every single review. I'm so grateful for everyone who has done that. If you haven't done that, please go do so. With all that said, I want to introduce you to Nir Ayal, who writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. Nir previously taught as a lecturer in marketing at the Standard Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford. Nir co-founded and sold two tech companies since 2003 
and was dubbed the MIT Technology Review as the prophet of habit-forming technology. Bloomberg Business Week wrote, Near Ayal is the habits guy. Want to understand how to get your app users to come back again and again? Then Ayal is your man. He is the author of two best-selling books, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Indistractable received critical acclaim, winning the Outstanding Works of Literature Award, as well as being named one of the best business and leadership books of the year by Amazon and one of the best personal development books of the year by Audible. The Globe and Mail called Indistractable the best business book of 2019. In addition to blogging at Near and Far, Nier's writing has been featured in the New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, Time Magazine, and Psychology Today. As a manager of his solo venture capital fund, Engagement Partners, Nier invests in habit-forming products that improve users' lives. Some of his past investments include Eventbrite, Anchor.fm, acquired by Spotify, Kahoot, Canva, Product Hunt, Marco Polo, Bite Foods, Focus Mate, Dynamic Wear, Wise App, and Cutback Coach. Near attended the Stanford Graduate School of Business and Emory University. With all that said, I want to encourage you to really dive in and really enjoy this phenomenal conversation with Near Ayal. Near, welcome to Elevate. How are you? I'm doing great, Tyler. Good to see you. Great to see you as well. And man, I'm excited about this conversation. I, I know that we're going to go in depth in terms of your expertise and so forth. But before we do that, I'd love if you could play a little game with me. And if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people who know you best, maybe it's your daughter, maybe it's your family members, maybe it's your closest friends, if you could give us a look behind the curtain, how would they describe you? Snappy dresser. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We all, if you're we just listening right now, you don't know, I'm in a t-shirt. <laughs> so definitely not snappy dresser. Like some combination of contrarian, right? <laughs> like, uh, I have a good friend who one time told me that, um, you know, he always liked how I made him think. Uh, and it reminded him of like how uh, Socrates, you know, the whole Socratic method. I'm a big proponent of the Socratic method of like getting to truth through questions. And he's like, yeah, but remember... They killed Socrates. So be careful. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, you do. I mean, you are a questioner, right? You ask questions, you challenge conventional wisdom, which is awesome. That's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about our conversation today. But tell me a little bit about your upbringing, like what was life like early on and, and so forth? Yeah. So today I'm what you call a behavioral designer. So I help companies uh, build the kind of products and services that create habit, healthy habits in their life. Uh, for many years, I taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and then later at the Hassel Platter Institute of Design, where I was a lecturer in marketing, teaching people how to use technology to change habits. And so that led to my first book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, where I took the secrets of Silicon Valley, uh, you know, the, the Facebooks and Twitters and Instagram and WhatsApps of the world. And I, what I wanted to do was to democratize how they do it so that all kinds of businesses could build the kind of products and services to get people hooked in a good way, right? So I've, I've become a very active angel investor. That's kind of my investing thesis is all about habit-forming products. So I've invested in ed tech companies like Kahoot is a $4 billion company I invested in. I was one of the first investors. Uh, that company gets kids hooked onto online learning. Uh, companies in the fintech space, right? That help people save money. Uh, companies in the health tech space like Fitbod that help people get hooked to exercise. So that was my first book. It was all about how to get people hooked to technologies they use to build healthy habits, not to build bad habits, but to build good habits. And my second book was kind of the, the flip side to that story. If Hooked is about how to build good habits, then Indistractable, my second book, is about the psychology of distraction. How do we break the bad habits? 
And I wrote that book for me <laughs> because uh, after Hook became a, a success, we sold over half a million copies so far. I started getting lots of inquiries, right? People asking me to do consulting work and speaking engagements and all this fun stuff. And I found myself not having time to do the thing that actually made me successful in the first place, the writing and the researching. And it took me five years to write Indistractable. And it took me five years to write Indistractable because I kept getting distracted, <laughs> not just professionally, right? I would say I was going to write and yet, you know, I check email or the news or stock prices or whatever sports scores. I do everything but the thing I said I was going to do. And it would happen with my health. You know, I would say I was definitely going to exercise. I was definitely going to eat right. And I didn't, and I wouldn't. Uh, and then a real turning point for me happened when I was with my daughter. Uh, we've been homeschooling for many years now. And uh, I, I had this afternoon plan with her, just free, free time, you know, some daddy daughter quality time. And I remember we had this book of activities that dads and daughters could play together, you know, all kinds of little activities, do a Sudoku puzzle, paper, airplane contest, like all these little games. And one of the, the, the activities was to ask each other this question, that if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember that question verbatim, Tyler, but I can't tell you what my daughter said. Because in that moment, for whatever stupid reason, I don't even remember why, I started looking at my phone. Mm. And I remember when I looked up from my phone, she was gone. She left the room to go play with some toy outside. And I had sent her this very clear message that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And that's when I decided that I had to change something, that I had to get down to the bottom of why I was so distracted. And so that kind of set me on this journey, this five-year quest to figure out how do I, how do I overcome distraction? And, and I started out with what I thought was the answer, which was get rid of the technology, right? Uh, we hear this from you know, professors in their ivory towers who don't have social media accounts telling us to just disconnect and go on a digital <laughs> detox and you know, stop checking email, stop using your phone. And first of all, it's incredibly impractical. Like maybe it's okay for some professor without a social media account, but I can't do my job without these technologies. I need these tools and technologies. How do I just stop using them? That's ridiculous. And frankly, it didn't help. <laughs> so like I did this stuff, right? Like I went on a digital detox. I got myself a flip phone, you know, like the kind we used to use in the 1990s uh, with no apps, no internet connection. And then I got myself a word processor off of eBay. Same thing, no apps, no internet connection. I thought, okay, I got rid of all the evil technology that's it. I'm going to be able to focus. I'm going to concentrate. I'm not going to get distracted. And I would sit down to work and I'd say, oh, you know, um, there's that book on the shelf that I've been meaning to get to, or man, my, my desk is quite a mess. Let me just fix this up real quick. Or the, the trash needs to be taken. Let me take out the trash real quick. Then I'll get started. And I kept freaking getting distracted. And so that's when I realized that this, you know, moral panic around technology is the reason we're getting distracted. Technology is why we, we can't seem to get things done is complete rubbish, that the, the psychology goes much, much deeper than that. And I'm proud to report that today, uh, after five years of researching and writing this book, I am finally indistractable, that I'm, I have a better relationship with my daughter than ever before. I spend more quality time with her because I say I will and I follow through. I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm 43 years old and I'm, I'm not saying this to brag, but uh, I have a six pack. I've never had six pack abs <laughs> in my life and I'm not athletic in the least. I used to be obese, to be honest. And wow. now I, I, you know, it's, I'm not athletic at all. I just do it consistently, right? I work out when I say I will. I'm, I eat healthfully because I say I will. And I work when I say I will. I get done what I say I'm going to get done because I live with personal integrity. I am indistractable. And I think this is the skill of the century, no matter what industry you're in, but particularly in real estate, 
because there's so many things you could do with your time. There's so yes. many potential distractions that knowing just how to follow through, like if you want to up your game, just do the things you know you should. You don't need any secrets. Just do the stuff you already know you have to do. The real problem is that people, it's not that people don't know the answer, right? If you don't know the answer to something, Google it. <laughs> it's all out there. Just Google it. So it's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we don't know how to stop getting distracted. It's that we don't know how to stop getting in our own way. Man, this is so valuable. It's so important. It's such an important discussion because I know myself and my own experience and many others that I share, you know, relationships with, especially in the real estate entrepreneur space or real estate investing space. It's like, it's like a double-edged sword. It's like, there's no limits, but there's no limits, right? You know, you can right, do anything, right. you can accomplish anything, but also you can allow so much to take up that space and the distractions. I mean, especially in today's world, I mean, whether you think technology is a great thing or a bad thing or somewhere in between, of course, it's a more distracting place than it has been over the past several decades. And so are we the victim or are we the victor? And I think that's an important distinction as well. But perhaps we could start with maybe the psychology of distraction, because I feel like yeah. we need to get to the core of why we why we get so distracted so easily. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, so the first thing to realize is that this is not a new problem. Okay. Uh, people have been struggling with distraction for at least 2,500 years before the internet. <laughs> How do we know this? Because we know that uh, Plato and Socrates talked about this very same problem. They called it akrasia, the tendency to do things against our better interests. People mm. were literally saying 2,500 years ago, gosh, isn't the world so distracting these days? So yeah. this is not a new problem. People have always found distraction in one thing or another. Now, we have to start with what does that word even mean, right? I'm kind of a word nerd, but this is actually super important because I think I certainly didn't understand what the word even means. So a good test to see if you know what distraction means or if any word uh, to test yourself, if you understand the meaning of any word is, do you know the antonym, right? Do you know the opposite of that word? So if you ask most people, what's the opposite of distraction, they'll tell you the opposite of distraction is focus, right? I don't want to be distracted. I want to be focused, right? So they must be opposites, but they're not, not exactly. That if you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. That both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice that both words end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N, that spells action, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us. It is an action we take. So traction by definition is any action that pulls you towards what you said you're going to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. The opposite of traction is, of course, distraction. Distraction is any action that you are not doing with intent, anything that pulls you further from your goals, further from your values, further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. So why is this so important? This is so important because anything, any action can be traction or distraction based on one word. And that one word is forethought. Okay. That one word is forethought. What do I mean by that? How many times, if you're anything like I used to be, have you sat down at your desk and you say, okay, I've got my to-do list. I've got that most important task on my to-do list. I'm going to do that first. By the way, we can talk about later why to-do lists are pretty much the worst thing you can do for your personal productivity. I'm going to bust mm. that myth right you know, in just a few minutes if you want yeah. to. Love but it. We can get to that in a minute. You sit down, you look at your to-do list, you say, oh, there's that big important thing I've been procrastinating on. No more. Today, I'm going to sit down at my desk. I really got to work on that thing, right? whether it's calling up leads or you know, talking to property owners or whatever the case might be. You always got right. that one task you've been procrastinating on. Yeah. I'm going to do it. 
right now. Nothing's going to get in my way. I'm not going to get distracted. I'm not going to procrastinate right now. Here I go. But first, let me check some email. Oh, man. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just scroll that Slack channel or maybe I'll just do a other things I'm like to do is just to get some momentum going, right? Just so mm-hmm. I can, I need to check email at some point. It's a work-related task, right? Well, what we don't realize is that that is the most dangerous form of distraction. We think about Netflix or the football game or Facebook or YouTube. No, it doesn't even compare, not even close to the time we waste getting distracted by the distractions that trick us into prioritizing the urgent and the unimportant work at the expense of the important work that we know has to move us forward. So as opposed to doing the easy and urgent stuff, we have to make sure we do the things we say we're going to do. Even email, just because it's a work-related task, doesn't mean it's not a distraction. In fact, that is the most pernicious form of distraction because it tricks you into not realizing that you're distracted. So anything can be a distraction if it's not what you plan to do with your time, right? Like I know a lot of people in your industry in real estate, you know, spending too much time in the office can be a distraction away from spending time with your kids, right? Mm -hmm. If what you plan to do with your time was to spend quality time with your family, now you're not doing that. Work can be a distraction. Vice versa, if you're not getting off your butt and making those calls and, you know, get out there and doing what you need to do for work, whatever else you're doing can be a distraction. However, if you plan ahead, if you decide in advance using forethought how you will spend your time, it's instantly traction. So there's nothing wrong with going on social media. There's nothing wrong with enjoying Netflix or a football game or television, whatever you want to do with your time. I don't care. As long as you do those behaviors, as long as you do those actions with intent, with forethought, according to your values and your schedule, not someone else's. That's the difference between traction and distraction. Man, that is so good. So good. And and I know that everybody listening is like, man, you know, they're kind of like hiding behind their, their, you know, their, their listening device right now, because everybody <laughs> can relate to the email situation that you just described. Yes. I mean, it's like, well, it feels like we're making some progress, but what you just described, I think is something that we we all need to re-listen to five, six, seven, eight, nine times until it gets through our head. And so thinking about forethought, right? Planning ahead and acting in that capacity and making that a habit, perhaps it's almost like we can combine sort of your expertise in terms of making this a habit. It's like making it a way of life. Is there any Mm -hmm. comments that you would make on that? Or is it just, Hey, go out and do it and create a streak over a certain period of time. And and, and it becomes a way of life. Well, I I wish it was that simple. And in (laughs) fact, I think that you, so I've been studying habits for well over a decade. My first book was about how to build habit forming products. My second book Indistractables, about how to control your attention and choose your life. That's what we've been talking about now. Right. And I will tell you that habits are way overhyped. Okay. Habits. I love habits. I love habits, but they are way overhyped because people don't understand what is the definition of a habit. The definition of a habit is the impulse to do a behavior with little or no conscious thought. Okay. I'll say it again. The impulse to do a behavior with little or no conscious thought. There are tons of behaviors that will never become habits, but here's the problem. People think they can form a habit out of any behavior right? They read some book or they heard some guru and they think that if they just do a behavior enough times, it's instantly going to become a habit. And what they think in their head, they won't say it out loud, is when they say, oh, I want to form a habit around something. What that is shorthand for is I want to have done that thing because doing it sucks. I want to, I want to have the thing done, but I don't want to, have to suffer through doing it, right? I want to form an exercise habit because I really hate exercising. I, I really wish I had a habit of writing because I've always dreamed of writing a novel. I just don't want to, you know, do the writing, 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make a habit of making my sales calls, but I really hate it. So I don't really want to do it. So I'll make a habit out of it. And that is just not how habits work. Habits are only certain types of behaviors. It happens to be 40% of what you do every single day is a habit, but many behaviors that require conscious thought. Okay. Like if you go to the gym and you want to get stronger, you are going to have to put that effort in. It's going to have to be a struggle if you want to get stronger. If you want to write, I, I've been writing, I wrote two uh, bestsellers. I've written thousands of articles in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. I don't know how to write out of habit. It's always hard. It's never something I do with little or no conscious thought. Making sales calls, that is not a habitual behavior. It's hard work. It's the antithesis of a habit. Wow. So it's not that you, so I'm not anti-habits. It's that don't give yourself this perception that you can turn everything into a habit because here's what happens. People do the behaviors like sheeple, right? They follow these, this advice and they say, okay, I'm going to make a habit out of it. And then they do it for a month. They do it for 40 days. They do it for 60 days. And they look back and I'm like, this still sucks. This is still really, really hard. I don't like it. And they think that there's something messed up with them, that they're somehow broken. And there's nothing wrong with them. It's the technique that's broken. So as opposed to trying to run away from our discomfort, right? Running away from this pain by trying to make it into a habit. And of course, that doesn't work with many, many behaviors. What we have to do is, in fact, lean into that discomfort. So let me explain this. This is a, this is a super important point. Yeah. So remember how we talked about traction and distraction? Oh, yeah. The next question is, what prompts us to take these actions? And the answer is that there, there are two things. There are triggers. Triggers come in two types. We have what we call external triggers. These are the usual suspects, the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in our outside environment that can lead us towards traction or distraction. That's what most people tend to blame when they think about distraction. They say, oh, you know, I was working and then my phone rang and I got distracted. Right. So they they blame the external trigger for causing them to go down that path of distraction. Turns out, however, studies find that only 10 percent of the time that you get distracted, 10 percent of the time you check your phone, are you checking it because of an external trigger? 10 percent. Mm. So what's the other 90 percent? The other 90% of the time that you get distracted, 90% of the time, surveys have shown this, 90% of the time that people check their phones, they are not checking them because of a ping or ding or ring. They are checking them because of an internal trigger. You see, one of the most important lessons of this book, and what I had to, had to learn over five years of researching this, is that the vast majority of distraction does not start from outside of us, but rather distraction begins from within. How? Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states, boredom, fatigue, anxiety, stress, uncertainty. These things feel bad. And the solution to that discomfort, the way we escape that uncomfortable sensation is through distraction. You see, motivation, many people don't realize how motivation works. If you ask most people what motivates us, right? They'll tell you some malarkey about carrots and sticks. We all learn this, right? Carrots and sticks give people rewards and punishments. It's not true. That is not the way the brain works. We now know from a neurological basis, it's not about the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, but in fact, the brain is only motivated by one thing. Everything you do, everything you do is about the desire to escape from discomfort. Mm. Everything, even, even the pursuit of a pleasurable sensation, right? When you think, oh, it feels good to get that bonus or it feels good to eat that chocolate cake or whatever the cake my, case might be, that reward is experienced in the brain. That wanting, craving, desire is itself psychologically destabilizing. 
So everything we do is about the desire to escape discomfort. So that must mean, therefore, and this is, here's the kicker. Okay. Write this down if you can. Time management is pain management. Let me say that again. Time management is pain management. I don't care what tips and tricks and gurus and books you might've read. None of that stuff works. None of it works unless we start by understanding what is that emotional pain that we are looking to escape from with a distraction. And if we don't deal with that first, nothing else will work. So the first step to becoming indistractable is mastering the internal triggers. That's step number one out of four. Man, are you kidding me right now, Nier? That is phenomenal. That is life-changing in itself. And having the awareness of that our brain is always trying to look for a way out of discomfort is so enlightening. And when we understand that, now we can take control back. We can take power back. I wanted to come back to to-do lists because I, I would be remiss if I didn't come back and touch on this. You mentioned that to-do lists are, you know, it it's, could be a disaster. And, I, and I'm, maybe I'm misphrasing right. you there, but tell me a little bit about that. And maybe you're thinking around to-do lists. Yeah. So I used to be a to-do list devotee and I would run my life uh, all day based on this to-do list. And it turns out the more I research the various, you know, I, I, I don't like these business books that you read that are full of like hokey anecdotes of this worked for me. So it's going to work for you. No, 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 no. Not only does it have to work, the stuff that I recommend has to work. And I use every single thing I talk about in the book. It has to be, it has to come from peer reviewed research, right? Like you'll see there's 30 pages of citations to peer reviewed studies. Uh, and so what I found when I dug into the literature is that people who run their life on a to-do list shoot themselves in the foot. It's a terrible, terrible technique for a few reasons. Now, to, just to be very clear, I'm not against writing things down, right? Getting things out of your brain and onto a piece of paper, an app, very good idea. What I'm against is running your life on a to-do list. If you wake up in the morning and you ask yourself, oh, what am I supposed to do today? And you look at your to-do list rather than looking at your schedule, you have made a massive mistake. Why? Firstly, to-do lists have no constraints, Okay. When you add stuff to a to-do list, there's no stopping cue. You just add more and more and more and more and more. And here's the thing. You get home from work at the end of the day and you look at this list of things that you still not have not done. Okay. And we know, by the way, what people do tend to do when they have a to-do list, they don't do the most important work. You know what they do. They do the easy stuff first. Yeah. Right. They do the urgent stuff, not the important stuff. So they run real fast in the wrong direction. So, so that's the, the, the first big problem is that because there's no constraints, when you get home from work every day and you look at that list of things you still have not accomplished, what message are you sending to yourself? You are sending a message to yourself that you said you would do these things and you still didn't do them. Loser. Yes. And that takes a psychic toll every day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. This is evidence that you don't live with personal integrity. And so then people start concocting these terrible self-images, these, these self-harming uh, uh, you know, uh, identities. I, I'm no good at time management. Oh, I have an addictive personality. I, I, I have a short attention span. All this BS. That's not true. They're not broken. You're fine. The vast majority of people have nothing wrong with them. It's this stupid cockamamie technique that we stick with that doesn't work. And yet we still adhere to it like some sacred cow. So instead, so what's the, what's the alternative? You need to stop measuring yourself based on how many cute little boxes you checked off. And by the way, I'm talking to myself here. Okay. <laughs> I did this for years. And so I'm angry with myself for not realizing earlier in life, how destructive this technique is. As opposed to measuring your, your, your self-worth by how many boxes you checked off, 
the new metric of success has to be, did I do what I said I was going to do for as long as I said I would without distraction? That's it. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say, did I finish? Okay. I don't want you to measure your self-worth by, based on whether you finished anything. Now, what is this guy talking about? Well, when am I going to get things done? Don't I have to do stuff? I have to finish it, right? Here's the thing. Studies have found that people who time box their calendar, who say in advance, I'm going to work on this for this long, that for this long. I'm not going to measure myself by how many calls I made. No, I'm going to make those calls for 30 minutes, but without distraction. 30 minutes without checking my phone or doing anything else. I'm just going to do what I said I'm going to do. I'm not going to do anything else. People who do that finish more than the to-do list followers. They actually get more done. Why? Because they do what they said they're going to do without distraction. That's the most important criteria. That distraction is the, the time killer, you know, because you put on your to-do list and say, okay, I need to make, you know, 30 calls. I'm definitely going to make 30 calls. Here I go. You make two calls, you take a break, you get a coffee, you check Instagram, you check some email, you never get them done. As opposed to if you just say, look, I don't care how many calls I make. I'm going to do this for 30 minutes before I take a break. And that's on my calendar. That type of person actually finishes more. They get more done than the to-do list follower. And of course, this process that I teach you to go through, this time boxing process is iterative. So you make a time box calendar. And I show you, by the way, how to do this, not just for work, but also how to take care of yourself. You know, so many people out there, they don't make proper time for rest, for exercise, for reading, for personal growth, for spiritual fulfillment. You know why? Because it's not on your calendar. Right. The same with friendships. You know, our country is suffering through a loneliness epidemic right now. And loneliness, psychologists tell us, is as dangerous as smoking and obesity. Right. Why? Because we're not making time for our most important relationships. It's not on our calendar. And what's happened in society is, particularly in America, as less and less people go to church and synagogue, you know, society is becoming more and more secular. And I'm not arguing for organized religion one way or the other. But here's the unfortunate consequence. That time is not held on our calendar to see other people, to be with members of our community that we care about. We have got to bring that time back in some way on our calendars. But particularly when it comes to our work, you know, there are two types of work. We have what we call reactive work and reflective work. Reactive work is reacting to emails, reacting to notifications, reacting to phone calls, reacting to meetings, right? That's how most people spend the vast majority of their day. However, reflective work, that's the kind of work that necessitates working without distraction, planning, strategizing, being creative, thinking for God's sakes has to be done without distraction. So if you are not making that time in your calendar, if you don't have at least some time, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, some time protected, kept sacred to think, I promise you, you're running real fast, but in the wrong direction. And if you want a competitive advantage over everyone else in your market, make time to think. And you can't do that if you're constantly distracted. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor and we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital. And you know how much I love real estate and how it can be a vehicle towards creating any outcome that you want in your life, which is really why we created CF Capital, a real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating multifamily assets that provide stable cash flow, capital appreciation, and a margin of safety for our investors, for our partners, and for the people that we serve. Our team leverages its expertise in acquisitions and management to provide investors like you with superior risk-adjusted returns while placing a premium on preserving capital. Our mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors maximize their returns by investing in high-value multifamily communities. Our philosophy is that we can elevate communities together 
through this process. And I want to invite you to go check out cfcapllc.com because we have a free ebook that's called The Bottom Line, The 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. And I want to tell you that this is a value-packed ebook. So I want to, want to invite you to go check that out right now at cfcapllc.com. I think you're going to get a ton of value just from reading this, whether you apply it to your own business or whether you educate yourself further on what it would look like if you invested with CF Capital. So go check that out at cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com and enjoy the rest of the show. And as far as time to think, I mean, what does that look like? It's literally blank space and it's, hey, I'm, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking about everything that I have going on. I'm strategizing what's important to me. Maybe I'm making some notes, maybe I'm journaling. Is there anything else that you would add to that? Yeah. So I don't advocate any one particular behavior, right? If you want to play video games all day, I don't care. That's great. Play video games all day, but do these things according to your values, right? What are values? Values are defined as attributes of the person you want to become. Values are defined as attributes of the person you want to become. So ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend their time? right? If the person you want to become spends their day playing video games all day, I'm not going to tell you not to, it's your life. You can do whatever you want. But what I don't want you to do is to say, oh, I have this to-do list. I'm going to make my phone calls and I'm going to go check out this property and I'm going to negotiate with this person. I'm going to be the perfect dad and I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do this. I'm going to lift weights. I'm going to blah, blah. And then you spend your whole day playing video games <laughs> because it's so exhausting. You just need to escape from all these things on your to-do list. Rather, put time in your schedule for yourself. If you like playing video games, great. Put it on your calendar and do that. That becomes traction. Everything else is distraction. That way you, you, you're forced because of a to-do list. I'm sorry, because of this time box calendar, you are forced to operate under constraints. Okay. One thing that really bugs me about the way people look at time uh, is that they don't think about time the same way we think about money. But of course, the language is exactly the same. Think about it, right? We make time just like we make money. We spend time just like we spend money. We pay attention just like we pay with dollars and cents, right? We wow. use the same language. And yet people are so damn stingy with their money and they give their time to whoever wants it. Oh, CNN, Fox News, New York Times, yeah, take my time. Twitter, yeah, take it. My boss, my kids, my whatever, yeah, take it as much as you want, right? But that's the only resource that is finite. I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett, you can always make more money. You can make infinite amount of money. You cannot make more time. Everyone gets the same 24 hours in a day. So we need to be stingy with our time and gracious and generous with our money. My goodness, the level of practicality of this conversation is profound. And I tell you what, man, this is something that we can all apply immediately. And it almost seems like the basis of what you're talking about in terms of being aware of where we're spending our time, where we're investing our time, where we're paying attention, it all comes down to forethought, right? It's planning ahead. It's thinking ahead. What's important to us? Getting clear exactly. on our values and right. thinking ahead. And then when you get there, it's actually keeping that integrity with yourself. Right. And so beyond that, I mean, that those are the principles. That's the foundation. Are there any other hacks the first that you two. point to? The first two. Yeah. yeah. So those are just the first two. So yeah. number one is master the internal triggers. We didn't talk about that, but there's dozens of different techniques. You don't need to go visit a psychotherapist. I can give you these techniques that I, I boiled down dozens of different techniques that you can use anytime you feel that discomfort. And this is super, super important because if you don't know how to address that discomfort, whether it's boredom, loneliness, fatigue, stress, anxiety, you're going to look for something. 
right? Whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, you're going to find a distraction unless you deal with how I will uh, respond to that discomfort. So that's step number one, master the internal triggers. Step number two is make time for traction. That's what we just talked about. It's about having that time box calendar because remember the, the cardinal rule here is you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from, right? How can you call something a distraction? I, I talk to people all the time in sales and management. They tell me, oh, you know, I, I had this to do and I wanted to do this and I didn't get around to them and I just got so distracted. I said, okay, that's great. Show me your calendar. What did you get distracted from? Nine times out of 10, there's like nothing on their calendar. <laughs> it's like <laughs> a dentist appointment or a meeting here and there. Everything else is on their to-do list. Terrible, terrible, right? We got to make a time box calendar. If you, you, you can't say you got distracted unless you can tell me what you got distracted from. So that's step number two, make time for traction. Step number three is hack back the external triggers. So the external triggers, you'll remember, these are the pings, the dings, the rings, all these things in our outside environment that can lead us towards distraction. So in this part of the book, I go step-by-step step through all the external triggers, meetings, emails, group chat, your kids, right? All these things that can take you off track because of what's happening in your outside environment. And I show you all the different ways you can hack back these external triggers. Your phone, of course, there's a whole chapter on your phone that, you know, just a few pages, how you can, you know, people complain about how distracting social media is and hijacking your brain rubbish. I can show you in less than one hour how to turn your phone into an indistractable device. Mm -hmm. And then the last step, the very last step, uh, step number four is preventing distraction with pacts. Now, a pact is a pre-commitment. It's the last line of defense. It's the firewall against distraction. And so here what we do is after we've done the other three steps, after we've mastered internal triggers, made time for traction, hacked back the external triggers, the last line of defense, the last thing we do as the firewall against distraction is to use a commitment to ourselves, to another person, even to a technology, believe it or not, to make sure that we don't go off track. And so when we use these four strategies in concert, when we use them together, that's how we become indistractable. It's something absolutely anybody can do. That's so good. So good. And, and I just want to encourage the listener not only to re-listen to that exact section there, but go buy the book. I mean, go check out the book, Indistractable. I mean, it's phenomenal. And there's Thank so you. much practicality again. I mean, it's it, it comes down to, and it, there's so much awareness from this conversation when we understand it's strategies coping with this comfort, right? And we understand that that's the basis of everything. And building this in and bringing this to forethought is just so powerful and taking control and not blaming technology because that that's a big thing that's happening right now. And, and I'm sometimes guilty of it myself. It's like, come on guys, you're, you're, you guys are so, they're so good. I mean, you know, there's so much science behind this addictiveness. And I've even heard you talk about social media as being almost like a slot machine in some way in, in the way that it is, you know, designed. And of course, if we're not careful, we can become the default mechanism of that sure. system, but understanding yeah. this is important, but what, what comments do you have on that? Yeah, look, I mean, if you are looking for a distraction, it's easier than ever to find. So even though Socrates and Plato struggle with the same exact problems 2,500 years ago, they didn't have iPhones in their pockets constantly pinging and dinging them. So granted, if you're looking for a distraction, you're going to find it. But of course, the price of progress is that we have all these amazing things. Right? Like, do we realize how much easier life is today? Let's see how you would get along in your real estate business without GPS. 
Help, help me understand that one, yeah. <laughs> right? Maybe We're going to go back to maps, people. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> these tools are incredible, okay? And we need to appreciate that, you know, we have the world's information at our fingertips. We can be connected to anyone in the world. You're on the East, you're in Kentucky, I'm in Singapore. We're talking for free <laughs> on this video device. I mean, this is science fiction. So yeah, you know what? Boo-hoo, wah-wah, these products are so good, you want to use them all the time. Give me a freaking break, okay? The price of progress is that we have to learn how to live with these things, not just live with them, how to use them so they don't use us, how to thrive with these tools, because they're just tools, okay? Just like a hammer, right? A hammer can build a home or it can be used to bash someone's head in. And so the world is bifurcating into two kinds of people, people who complain about how distracting things are and will allow their lives to be manipulated and controlled by others and people who say, okay, I got it, but I'm not going to let that happen to me. I decide how I control my attention. I control my life. I control what I will do with my time because I am indistractable. So that's really why I wanted to write this book is because, you know, if you hold your breath waiting for these tech companies to make their products less engaging, you're going to suffocate. They're not going to do that. <laughs> That's not, we're not going back to an age before these distracting technologies. And frankly, we don't want to, right? Do it. Hey, Netflix, you know, your, your shows and movies, they're really good. Can you make them <laughs> crappier? Cause I don't, I, I watch them too much. Uh, hey, uh, Tim Cook, you know, the iPhone, it's really user-friendly. I'd like you to make it less user-friendly because I find myself using it a lot. Hey, hey, uh, TikTok, Instagram, can you make this less entertaining, please? No, it's not going to happen. We got to move on and we got to teach our kids and our families how to become indistractable. Because if you think the world is distracting now, just wait a few years. It's only going to become more distracting. There really is going to be two types of people in the world, the ones who let their lives be controlled by others and the ones who are indistractable. Yeah. Use the technology to leverage your life, to leverage your impact, to leverage your effectiveness and all these different things, because it's not going away, as you just mentioned, man. And, and I love that statement of declaring that I am indistractable. It's almost like mm -hmm. you, you declare the identity and there are tools, there are tactics, there are strategies in terms of reverse engineering that and making that a reality. But there's just so much value in that. And Nir, this, totally. this conversation is so good, but go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, I mean, that, that's exactly one of the techniques in the book. It's one of the later techniques uh, it comes in that section on making a pact. This is called an identity pact. An identity pact is when you have some kind of moniker, some kind of, of, of thing you call yourself, and that actually makes it more likely that you will stay in line with your values. Now, where does this come from? I didn't make this up. This comes from the psychology of religion, right? When someone calls themselves a devout Christian or an observant Muslim, they are more likely to act in accordance to that identity. I mean, think about like a, a vegetarian, okay? A vegetarian doesn't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, should I have a bacon sandwich for breakfast? No, they are a vegetarian. It is who they are. And so they don't have to, you know, make a choice there. It's part of their identity. So we can apply this to our own lives. This is why the book is called Indistractable. Indistractable sounds like indestructible, right? It's that superpower that I craved when I was talking to my daughter. That is your new moniker. And the good news is we have been here before with something far more addictive, right? And that's cigarettes. You know, I remember, so I was born in the 70s, but I remember the 1980s. And I remember in my household growing up, we had ashtrays in our living room. Everybody had ashtrays in the living room. My parents didn't smoke. Everybody I knew had ashtrays. Why? Because back in the 1980s, this is going to sound crazy. Back when about 40% of the U.S. population, the adult population smoked, people came to your home and just expected to be able to light up a cigarette in your living room. 
That was just what people did. Everybody born, you know, after the 80s thinks this is nuts. But that was reality. That's how life was until people like my mom one day threw away the ashtrays. Said no more. Somebody came over. I remember this. One of her friends came over and took out a pack of cigarettes and was about to smoke in her living room. And she said, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. We are non-smokers. We are non-smokers. If you'd like to smoke, if you'd please be so kind and to go outside. Right. <gasps> what? This was so rude. You know, but of course, today, can you imagine if someone walked into your living room and just lit up a cigarette? That would be unheard of. Right? <laughs> what changed? Did we pass some law that made it uh, illegal to smoke in someone's private residence? No, there's never been such a law. What changed is that we spread what's called social antibodies. We inoculated society with manners. Right. And that's exactly what we have to do with our technology, that by declaring I am indistractable, just like my mom declared, I'm a non-smoker. Not only are you reinforcing your own identity, we are changing the world. Right. We're making it unacceptable. We're making it rude to do these, you know, really uncomfortable, you know, rude acts like, you know, you go out to lunch. I, I, this kills me. I'll go out to dinner and I'll see a family sitting together, you know, a mother, a father, two kids. Everybody's on their phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not yep. technology's fault. That's bad parenting, right? That is not technology yeah. doing it. That is bad manners. And so by spreading these norms, by spreading these social antibodies, we're reinforcing our own identity. We're helping ourselves become indistractable and we're setting a precedent. We're, we're spreading these norms that everyone can use to become indistractable. Nir, you're, you're changing the world right now. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> you're changing I mean, is, the world because you're getting this message out for me. <laughs> I tell you what, man, this is so important. And it's beautiful too, because like this is a prime example. Our conversation is being broadcast through a podcast, right? This is so amazing yeah. because it's not, these technology is not causing us to be a victim and, and, and ruining our lives. It's enhancing our lives in so many ways. And so this is just such a great reminder of not being that victim, but stepping into the victor and using this for good. But near before we transition into our rapid fire section, I'd be remiss to ask you discussing, yeah. you know, what we've discussed with so many investors and entrepreneurs, if you had to, you know, really discuss and, and really describe sort of your investing strategy nowadays, I, I'd just be curious. I mean, obviously you're a tech investor and a, in a, you know, an angel investor, but what are you focusing on and, and, and what are your, what's your strategy right now? Yeah. So I, I focus on where I think I have some kind of unfair advantage and my special knowledge, my competitive advantage has to do with habit forming products. So I only invest in companies, uh, you know, startups, uh, mostly tech focused companies that utilize this uh, this way of building products that help people form healthy habits. Uh, so I invest in companies that I feel uh, build healthy habits, uh, good habits in people's lives, uh, and that becomes good business too. So I was an investor in you know ed tech companies, fintech companies, health tech companies. Uh, any company I made about thirty investments to date, and I'm always looking for. Uh, you know, ways to make a, a positive impact in the world by changing people's habits for good. That's awesome. And I think it's a, it's a great insight to focus on, well, what is it that you have a unique advantage in? You know, what is your special advantage? What's your expertise and apply that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and invest for good too. I think that's one of the things that I've seen so much in my investing career is that people are more and more inclined to be an impact investor in certain capacities. It's like, how can we apply the abundance thinking towards not only growing our wealth, but also giving to other and investing in things that we believe in because man, life is too short. Otherwise I believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Nir, what an awesome conversation. I want to transition into our rapid fire section. It's called the rare air questionnaire. The conversation that we've had today is rare in many ways, right? Most people are just saying, look, you know, it is what it is. We're just overwhelmed with technology. We're overwhelmed (laughs) with distractible things all around us. So this is my life. But what we're doing is we're saying, you know what, that doesn't have to be the case. So let's take control. So I'd love to ask you a few things. Being a prolific author yourself, I would imagine you're a big reader as well. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Yeah. So let's see. So um, there's many, many books I've, I've enjoyed that have an impact. I think some of the ones that come to mind, um, uh, Factfulness by Hans Ronsling. Uh, like that you've, you've, that's a great book. It's, uh, it's basically a book that, that tells you the, the state of the world as it really is. And it's amazing. Just uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but basically like he gives this survey to professors uh, about you know how how the world is the state of the world like how many people are educated the state of democracy the, the spread of democracy public health I mean all these things about is the world basically getting better or worse and basically these you know highly educated professors score worse than chimpanzees <laughs> like, <laughs> they score worse than random <laughs> on <Right>. these tests <laughs> um, because the the overwhelming perception is that the world is going to hell in a handbasket and nothing could be further from the truth it gets the world gets better and better and better because of exactly what you just said technological innovation right people driven with the product motive to a profit motive to innovate to improve that's exactly what improves standards of living and so what we're doing you know in business this is important work right this is how we improve our standards of living and it's great to see a book like factfulness kind of resetting what i think the media often tells us because look the media is a business too they make money not by telling you the truth the truth is pretty boring right nobody says hey no airplanes crashed today that's not very interesting uh nobody tells you about all the the babies who didn't die because uh, quality of life has improved so much they tell you about the one super rare instance so that you know they sell you a vehicle to take your mind off your problems by thinking about somebody else's problems a thousand miles away. That's their business model. So uh, I think that that was a fantastic book. So that's a great nonfiction book. A great fiction book I'd recommend is Moby Dick. So maybe the quintessential American novel, um, but it is a slog. The book itself, if you want to do yourself a favor and you still want to get the essence of it, get the screenplay. Okay. See if you can find the screenplay. And uh, I saw the show in Chicago. That's even better. If you can see the live performance of Moby Dick, it's incredible. What I love about it is that it's the same story of distraction that we've been talking about, you know, for the past hour here, 45 minutes. It's the same story. Whereas like he's chasing this whale, Captain Ahab is chasing this whale and he's chasing it for the exact same reasons we've been talking about. It's about these internal triggers. It's about his own personal emotional struggle. And that resonates with so many of the distractions in our life, our modern distractions. And this book was written, you know, a hundred years ago, and it's still super relevant today and super American too, right? Like it's no coincidence that this is probably the most famous American novel. That's so cool. That's the first time anybody's uh, mentioned Moby Dick on the podcast. So I'll, we'll definitely put a link in the show notes to where people can find the screenplay as well as the book. And, and of course, factfulness. And by the way, hooked and indistractable, of course, near man, you, your mind is so beautiful. I love having this conversation with you. Thank you again. Thank you. Um, Appreciate it. If you had to point to the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would you say? Mm. You know, I think that the, the practice that I have uh, adopted in, in my life is, is um, planning out my day. So we talked about time boxing, but one thing we didn't talk about is a schedule sync. And a schedule sync is when you sit down with the stakeholders in your life. So it could be your boss. uh, It could be your spouse. uh, And doing that schedule sync, I have to say, has really leveled up my life. I sit down with my wife 15 minutes on a Sunday evening, never takes more than 15 minutes. And we just 
do a schedule sync. So she shows me her time box calendar. I show her my time box calendar and we synchronize. And it has so improved our marriage. We've been married for almost 20 years. We'll be married for 20 years in, in this coming September. Congrats. And we used to get in all these fights about, hey, why didn't you do this? And how come you didn't do that? And I would always tell her, hey, honey, you know, if I didn't do something, just tell me what to do, right? Like I'll do it. And I didn't realize that I was asking her to take on yet another job, which is to be my babysitter. <laughs> so once I realized that, we started doing this schedule sync and it has completely changed our marriage. We're so much happier for it and so much less stressed than we used to be. Love that. Love that. In fact, my wife and I have, have started doing something similar each Sunday and we've been talking about what do we have going on this week? And I think it's important to be on the same page. And man, that's that's really, really valuable. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you in your- You know, there's this mantra that I repeat to my, I have a list of a few mantras that I repeat every day. And one of them is true happiness is being happy for the success of others. And so what I try and do is, um, is whenever I see someone succeeding, if it's just the slightest success, if I can just congratulate them, right? If I can, you know, like, you know, as opposed to when a friend of mine posts something on Instagram that, that went well in their life, like give them a call, tell them that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. And like to genuinely, not just like say it, but actually feel it, right? Like really feel their joy is your joy. It's a game changer. Cause I think, you know, to be honest with you, it's easy to be jealous, right? It's so yeah. easy when you see others succeeding uh, to, to kind of be a little envious, but as opposed to reminding myself that mantra that, that true happiness is being happy with the success of others, it's a game changer. And I, th- I think not only does it elevate them, of course, selfishly, it benefits me a great deal as well. Yeah. That's, that's a pattern that I recognize when I ask that question is that when you elevate others, it elevates you at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's so much value in that. There's so much wisdom. This conversation is so valuable, man. Near I'll, my goodness, are you kidding me right now? Uh, do you have any parting thoughts or words of wisdom for Elevate Nation today? You know, I I, uh, I really appreciate being on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, of course, if, if you're interested in my work, I have a blog as well. It's called nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name. So that's N-I-R and far. And uh, the book we've been talking about is called Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. So stay strong and stay indistractable. That's exactly right. And uh, we'll put links in the show notes to where you can find Near, whether it's on social media or of course, nearandfar.com, LinkedIn, Instagram, you name it, Twitter, all over the place. And by the way, there's an offer for Elevate Nation, which is a free 80-page workbook at nearandfar.com. So you definitely want to go check that out. And uh, there's also a PDF uh, of of his book. And you definitely want to go check out his book uh, on Amazon and anywhere you can find books, uh, whether it's hooked or indistractable. So much value. Near man, thank you so much again for being on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. This was awesome. Thank you so much, Tyler. It's been a pleasure. Wow. Elevate Nation. Are you kidding me right now? How much value did Near Ayala just bring to us? I'm like, gosh, you just like took the gloves off and was just knocking down so much BS. I mean, there's so much surrounding us that says, man, we got to be limited because of all the distractions in this world. And I know that if you're anything like me, this episode and this discussion resonated with you very deeply because man, if we're not careful, we can be very distracted and we'll never get to where we want to go. But if we become indistractable, if we declare that we are indistractable and we take the necessary actions towards building this in our life, I'm telling you, anything is possible. And I know that that's the case. And I'm so excited about sharing this episode with you. I'm so excited that I was able to be a part of this discussion on your behalf and to really be this beacon and really to share this with you because man, it's so much fun. But I want to encourage you to identify what are your takeaways? What are the top three takeaways that you got from this episode? And what are you doing to become indistractable? What are you doing to declare, draw that line in the sand and move in that direction? Because look, 
the time is now, right? The time is now. There's no, no better time than to make that declaration. And I want to encourage you to not only define what are those top takeaways, but share those with a friend along with paying it forward and sharing this episode with someone else that you care about. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. I know I'm going to do that multiple times because there is so much value here. Of course, you want to go check out Nier's work and all that he's really giving to the world because he is who you see is, is what you get and uh, such a great great guy. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. Of course, repetition is the mother of all skill, but most importantly, at the end of the day, it's about taking massive action. So Elevate Nation, until next time, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.